What does it take to be a top performing entrepreneur? Welcome to Inspiring Business Success, a podcast sponsored by Insperity, where we'll explore areas of entrepreneurial success and extraordinary professional performance. There is an abundance of good performers, but what about exceptional performance? This season, we will be exploring the defining characteristics of exceptional performers in business and in life. Inspiring Business Success is sponsored by Insperity. Insperity provides human resources solutions that make a difference in the success equation for the best small and medium-sized businesses. If you want to know more, go to insperity.com. Are you ready to reach new heights in your performance? Let's go to the studio now with Larry Schaefer, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Insperity, Dr. David Cook, author, speaker, and well-known sports psychologist, and Doug Tatum, author, professor, and entrepreneur. David, let's go a little bit further here and talk about that first pillar, which is focus. Where do you want to go? T- tell us a little bit more about that. So that's that's the that's the true north. That you know that keeps us from meandering along the way with talent that we have. It gives us uh, really this is the best word is a focus where you're heading. A lot of people will say, you know, I'm just going to give my I'm going to I'm going to give my best. That's my focus. I'm going to I'm going to uh, give a hundred percent. I'm going to do everything I can with the talent that I have. And and so my question that I want to talk about in this podcast is, can you give more than a hundred percent? Can someone give more than a hundred percent? Or is that you know is that the goal? Is that what we want to do? When I was doing my doctoral work at the University of Virginia, I had to answer this question in a single subject experimental design um, format where basically you do an experiment with one person and you can literally, if you control the environment well enough, conjecture that to a large group of people. And so the question that I was challenged to answer in my doctoral work was, can a person give more than 100%? So I needed the perfect guy. So I had this gentleman that came to me, and after I interviewed him, I went, this is the guy that I can use to conjecture the result. He was a former Marine. He'd run 21 marathons, um, and, and he was trained to go through the wall. I mean, whatever it takes. If you told the guy to give 100%, that was like fuel to him, and so he was really into it. So we're going to do a, a treadmill test, a maximum treadmill test, to see how far this guy can, can walk, to how much pain, basically, he can endure. And so it's called the balky treadmill. And so uh, you turn on about 3.4 miles per hour, and every few minutes you increase the elevation. And when I hooked him up the first time, I said, you need to do this for me five times. We're going to take an average, not just once. So I put the treadmill up against a cinder block wall, and he had no timing device whatsoever. And basically I told him after we hooked his heart up to the monitor and everything, I said, walk till you can't stand up. I mean, this was like fuel to this Marine. And he takes off walking and he doesn't know, you know, about the elevation change and all that. He just keeps going till he can't stand up. You know, 26 minutes into it, you know, most people have that I've ever put on there had quit around 20 minutes. He's 26 into it. He's going, he's in agony, man. He's, he's sweating, he's spitting, you know, he's got words are flying and everything. And at 27 minutes down for the count, boom, out of it. And he's in the chair and he's going, did I win? You know, and there's no winning in this thing. It's an index. And so basically, um, I, I did what I was supposed to do, and it's the only place I know you can lie without sinning. I told him that he went 28 minutes instead of 27, and I said, that was amazing. You, you know, I've never seen anybody do this, and it's at the top one-tenth percent of everybody that's ever walked on this thing. And so what I did is I, I gave him a number, 28, on a piece of paper and said, put it in front of you. 
and, and come back next week. And all I want you to do is take one more step. Now, remember, he'd only gone 27. So I sort of had lied to him, but he takes it and he goes and he says, man, I'll practice, I'll work and I'll come back and I'll be ready. So he comes back this time. The only difference in the room is I put a clock in front of him, big three foot round clock with a, with a piece of red tape at 28. And I said, instead of give me a hundred percent, I said, beat it. And it was absolutely amazing what happened. The heart rate, everything was the same. The agony at 26 minutes was crazy. He couldn't believe he was hurting so bad and still had two minutes to go. And he got to 27 and stumbled, but kept going and went 28-10 down for the count. I said, that's amazing. He went 10 seconds further. He'd gone 70 seconds further when he had had a different type of focus. The next week he came in, I took the clock away and said, give me 100%. He was upset he didn't have a clock. I said, man, you're tough. Just give me 100%. He went 26 and a half. He thought he had set a world record, and I told him he did. I told him he went 28 You lied to him again. Again. <laughs> you know, that's what psychologists do. they got to get some good information. you got to do this. <laughs> the following week, I gave him, I, I, I put the number 28-15 on piece of paper. said, all right, I'll give you the clock back next week. Beat it. He came back and beat it by a second. The last week, no clock, no way. I told him the truth and ran while he was still tired and couldn't get me. <laughs> Fascinating to me yes. that a different focus literally allowed him to go further than they ever thought. Now, I, I don't believe we can go more than 100%, but what I do believe is that when we have a, have a certain type of focus, we can literally get more of our talent, that reservoir that sits there. We can get into that. We can, we can, we can really tie into that more and get further than we ever could. Focus is huge. What kind of focus you choose will change your life. Wow. Doug, you got any insights on that? Well, the first thing is 26 minutes not making me feel real good about that two minutes in my cardiologist's <laughs> office last week where they were pulling the paddles off the wall. So I don't know about 26 minutes. But, you know, it, it's um, I used to have a comment that I used to tell my boys who would use, you know, I gave it 100 percent as an excuse. And I said, well, son, in my world, your best had better be good enough. In other words, 100% effort doesn't matter if it doesn't matter. And uh, it made me think of Jack Stack. I, I'm sure y'all are familiar with a great game of business. And I remember his whole premise of open book management. He didn't ask his employees to give, them, give him 100%. When he took over this company, it was out of business. There was no way they were going to survive. He said, y'all have to show me how to make it profitable. He defined a very specific focus, which became open book management, which became the great game of business, which is now kind of a methodology. But what was really interesting was he didn't turn around and challenge everybody to be their best. He said, what we have to do is make a profit, and we're going to give you the tools to do it and the information to do it. And they were able to deliver that. So it's fascinating to me. What, what I'm hearing is it's not about rah-rah. It's about a reality focus on something that matters. And so the best that you give had better be good enough around that focus. Yeah. And, and so here's what we find, you know, instead of just going and setting a goal, here's what we find. We have, you know, we have a goal setting group and a non-goal setting group. And there's been hundreds of studies about this. The goal setting group always, and I use that word carefully, always outperforms the non-goal setting group. Now, what I'm interested in, and I know the people that are listening are 
really interested in is I want to know, you know, those people don't set goals. Okay, we're going to set them aside. It's not because they're not important. It's because, you know, they have chosen not to succeed. But those that set goals, what I studied was that group. And there's a difference in that group of goal setters where some become champions, very successful, and others are good. You know, it's kind of like that, the idea of good to great. What's the separating factor in the goal setting group? And here's what we find out. There's four. Okay. All right. And that story really relates to them. We're going we're gonna to cover these across the next podcast. Number one is your focus needs to be specific. You know, you, it's measurable. Two, tangible. You can see it, taste it, touch it. Three, it's uh, difficult. You know, it's going to stretch you. And four, it's self-reference. In other words, you're your greatest competitor. So these are, this is where we're moving uh, in these next podcasts is defining what the true art of goal setting our focusing is all about specific, tangible, difficult, and self-referenced. When those people use those characteristics to set their focus, they outachieved the others in the goal setting right, group. So I, I have to jump in here. This is fascinating because, uh, uh, and I maybe need a little more clarity on self-referencing, but I did an experiment in the business world that relates to this, and and we refer to it as simulated outsourcing. So we took a group of employees that ran a process. And David, what was interesting is if you went to the senior managers and asked them, is there any way to save costs in that process? They would say, no, we're doing everything right and so forth. But what we did was did a couple of things. The first thing is we allowed them to run that as a business, and we gave them control over how they handled the work. And what was fascinating was that we gave them a fake income statement. In other words, we took the cost of running whatever they were doing, said, this is your revenue. Now, you guys are in control of whether you can change processes. And what we found is it drove literally millions of dollars. In fact, at one time I was talking to the Defense Department about this notion of simulated outsourcing. Because number one is we gave them a specific goal around, here's your output. We don't care how you get there. We're going to put you in control of it, not the senior executives. We want you to drive costs out of this, which made it very difficult. But what's fascinating is we put them in control of it. We said, you make the decisions. So they would change the way the furniture was set up. They would have some employees come in earlier and and some come in a little bit after to sequence the work. Stuff that you would never, as an executive manager, ever get down to, but they had the opportunity to do that. I mean, does that reflect a little of what you learned with the with the athletes, David? Absolutely. And we're going to get into it as we move along in the, in the questions about specific, tangible, difficult, and self-reference. It also moves into, you know, one of the other pillars we're going to get into, passion of, of if you own the goal, um, boy, you are way more focused. Absolutely. That's a great point. That's great. So we have... Uh, you know, the importance of having a definitive goal. And as you just referred to, Doug, giving it, you know, empowerment, feeling empowered to be able to achieve it. I had something happen to me recently that was very eye-opening, very significant to me personally. And it goes back to many years ago in 1994 when I was really failing in sales, failing in business, uh, on the brink of bankruptcy, feeling like I'd failed my wife and two kids. I don't know where I got it, but somewhere through some internal drive, I wrote down some very, very lofty goals of what I wanted to achieve in my life. And I wrote those down and I sent them to a, a friend. Well, 
here it is, uh, you know, 2019, a couple months ago, he came across that and he sent it back to me. And when I read through it, the details of where I'm at right now in my life and what I've, what I've been able to accomplish was unbelievable how similar it was. Interesting. So as we move into the next step, David, specific goals, tell us a little bit more about that. So focus is the first pillar and specific specificity of your goal is, is the first step there. And it's, and it's huge. When we think back to the, um, the gentleman in the treadmill that I had alluded to before, when he had a clock, he walked further than when he didn't have a clock. He, he went through more pain, more agony. He was able to go further. In other words, he was able to get into that reservoir of potential more quickly. When we started the podcast, um, we talked about Tim Duncan, and Tim Duncan was failing. And we, we said that we would share a little bit of the process as we went through here. So one of the first things I had to do was, you know, help Tim have a specific mental goal. And that's, that's hard. Again, you know, okay, I'm just going to think better. That's what people say, you know, I'm just going to think better. But so what we did with him is I gave him a 10 game challenge and I, and I, and I described to him, I said, you know, once the ball leaves your hand, you know, when you're a shooter, you have no control over it. So where's the control come? And he said, well, I guess before it leaves your hand, I said, okay, so let's focus on the thoughts that we have right before you shoot a free throw. And that'll move into your shooting game as well. And then other aspects of your game, let's control what we can control. Let's Let's set a very specific idea of what it means to think better in that situation. And I said, basically, what we're going to do is we're going to get back to where you used to be. You were really free. You just shy. You just let it go and everything happened. But we're going to have to work a little bit to get back there because now you're playing out of of fear a little bit. And so we began to talk about what is the process look like of of thinking well. And and there's the neuropsychology of performance. There's basically three fundamentals to that. And it's see what you want to have happen, see what you want to have happen, feel what that feels like. And that feels more free than it does tight. Um, And then trust rather than doubt. See, feel, and trust. It's just like a a really simple but profound process that if we follow in sport and business or wherever we walk into performance to see and to feel and to trust, that if that's what we're focused on, then we have an opportunity for our talent to come out, you know, create a good vision, uh, attach a feel or a strategy to that and then trust or let it happen. So my, my job with Tim was to convince him to not worry about outcome, which is what we're always worried about, for 10 games and focus and grade himself specifically on the mental process that he goes through on every free throw during a game. So he's going to have somewhere between 10 and 15 free throws. At the end of the game, I said, I don't want to know if you made it. I want to know if you went through the process. You see, the specific goal of changing your mind is a process goal. Did you think these thoughts? And he gave me uh, the okay that he would do that. So it took his mind from trying to make a free throw to controlling his thoughts, putting his mind in position to make a free throw. And that's how we, that's how we define specificity when we're thinking and putting our mind in position so this great talent can come out. And so in the first 10 games, he went from 47% to 62%. And then I said, give me 10, 10 more games. I mean, you, you know, you went up quite a bit there. So let's, let's 
let's do it again. And so in the next 10 games he did it and got back to 75%, which he had been for life. And that's how he sort of finished the year. And the next year he went 80%, won MVP. It was, it was all based on a specific mental process that freed him up so that this great talent that was inside could come out. So, Doug, we often in business, we focus on the outcome. You know, the, the leader will tell everybody, you have to achieve this. And it's almost like a lagging indicator. But what I think David is talking about is he got David or he got Tim Duncan thinking about the leading indicators, which is how he thinks about certain things before he executes. I reflect back on on an interview I did again. Uh, we referred to it earlier, uh, a restaurant chain is very successful in this country right now. And the entrepreneur, they were having difficulties throughout the organization. Um, nothing was getting executed. They had problems. And what was fascinating was that, that uh, back to your point, Larry, you know, the, the leader, uh, they had a failed leadership change. The institution was... Uh, doubting itself, it's almost that's it's, it's almost institutionally the same thing that that you were talking about with Tim Duncan. So it's fascinating. What the entrepreneur did was he said, "We got a problem seeing, or feeling, or trusting that we can execute anything." So what he decided to do was on St. Patrick's Day, they were going to have green M and M Rice Krispie treats. And everybody goes, what are you talking about? It says, you know, we got all these things, we got all these problems, but we can't even execute anything. So what we're going to do, every store is going to have green M&M Rice Krispie treats because if we can't prove that we can do that, the rest of it, and the whole organization focused on that, and believe it or not, that was a turning point. The very fact that they could execute one thing as a group led them to the things they needed to do to change that organization. So, I, I mean, I think the parallels uh, are, are fascinating when I listen to this stuff. Wow, just changing one aspect of what they focus on drove that emotional yeah, he, belief and that change that they could then accomplish other great goals. Yeah, Larry, he, I mean, he, he, will, he will indicate when I interviewed him that that was probably one of the single most pivotal uh, turning points in the business. So when... Our football coaches in the past have said you can give 100%. They really are telling the truth, aren't they, David? <laughs> you know, my football coach always said 110%. Okay. I don't know about yours. And, and uh, you know, one of them actually was a math teacher as well. And, you know, in the classroom, 100% was what we called the pie graph was a universe. But, you know, out on the football field, <laughs> he, he wanted more than 100%. He wanted more than a pie graph. He wanted more than a universe. And um, and all they were trying to say is, listen, everybody's got a reservoir. How do you get more of that out? And it starts with a specific, a specific goal. Folks, today we spoke about specific goals. And you know, the reality is that we've heard for years and years and years that we need to set specific goals. But few do it. Will you be among the few? Next time, we're going to take goal setting to the level of the elite. So if you liked what you heard today, subscribe and share. And thanks for joining us, and we look forward to talking with you next time.